Well, it's so good to see those of you who are here in the room and good to have those of you who are joining us online gather with us for worship. If you want to go in your Bibles to James chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 17. Maybe you have a mobile app, a Bible mobile app, go there, James chapter 4. Last week we saw in James 4 verse 6 and then in verse 10 how important it is for us to approach God with humility. Verse six said that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 said that when we humble ourselves before God, he lifts us up. So he receives us in his grace and he restores us with his hope. But the key was humility and we talked about that. Maybe some of you spend some time walking through those five steps based on those 10 commands we saw in that passage. Now, I myself was being humbled by God through that time and was, was working this week. I thought, okay, Lord, I want to walk in humility. I don't want to uh, carry myself in a way where there's arrogance or pride or, you know, my opinion is more important than somebody else's opinion. And then I found myself apologizing three times this week <laughs> in occasions where I, you know, sort of said something in a forceful way. It was opinion. It was you know, in this era right now, the time we're in, it's so easy to, in a, just a casual conversation, escalate things. And I think what happens, at least for me this week, and I think it's true for most of us, is that there are times in our spiritual journey where God is doing something and then we get in the way. I want to talk to you as we look at James 4, 11 to 17. I want to talk to you about finding freedom from me. Finding freedom from me. We'll see in this passage that as I humble myself before God, I find more and more freedom from the shackles of my own selfishness. The more I humble myself, the more I see the shackles of my own selfishness and self-focus fall away. Now, when we talk about freedom from ourselves, we talk about less of me, more of the Lord, we're not saying that we don't have value. We are made in the image of God. He's given us personalities, and he's made us in a specific way. We're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord. What we're talking about is that area of our lives that is the, the moral aspect of who we are and the, the, the decisions and the behaviors and the actions of our lives. We are made in the image of God, but we are fallen. And a lot of times our sinfulness and our selfishness gets in the way of what God wants to do in and through us as his children. I have learned over the years that there's no single factor that determines the pace and depth of my spiritual growth more than humility. Of all the different factors, nothing controls the pace and depth more than humility. When I humble myself and I get out of God's way, God does his work in and through me. Now James, after talking about humility, tackles two major subjects. The first is found in verses 11 and 12, and the next one is found in verses 13 through 17. He's, he's tackling almost that which is the opposite of humility, those things that can easily crush our humility and get in the way of what God wants to do in and through us. The first one, found in verses 11 and 12, is a critical attitude. We can have a critical, condescending, judgmental attitude toward others. And there's great danger in this. It's really a part of pride and selfishness. It doesn't speak to our humility before the Lord. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 of James 4. Brothers and sisters, remember he's writing to Christians who are scattered through the Roman Empire in the first century. James is the pastor at the church in Jerusalem, the half-brother of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
The word slander means to gossip, speak something against, to backbite, to spread rumors, to undercut and undermine others. And it says do not. The, the form of this command is that they were already doing it and they need to stop. So it could be translated, brothers and sisters, stop slandering, backbiting, gossiping, tearing each other apart. Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. That's the word of God, the Bible, and judges it, the Bible. When you judge the law, God's word, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Then verse 12, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Then he says, but you Who are you to judge your neighbor? Are you God? I think that's kind of the question here. Who are you to put yourself in the position of being the judge? Now, I believe that as we find freedom and we experience humility and get out of God's way, that we find freedom from this critical attitude, this condescending spirit, this judgmental tone, in three ways that he describes here. The first one is that as I'm freed from a critical attitude, I stop putting myself above others and serve them instead. I stop putting myself above others and serve them instead. In verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Do not speak against each other. Do not attack each other. Galatians 5.15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, we live in the era of the cancel culture. And it's a problem not just on the right or just a problem on the left. We've come to this place that if, if we view someone as flawed or errant or problematic, then our culture just cancels them, cancels any trace of them or of their impact. I've seen this both on the right and the left nationally. Even in the last week, I've seen it locally even in the last week where people cancel one another, and yet that's not Christ. Christ, as he lived his life, hung out with tax collectors. Now, if you work for the IRS, a tax collector back then, it's a lot different than today. They were cheaters, they were swindlers, they stole money from people, and the Roman government looked the other way. Jesus hung out with greedy people who hurt other people through their greed. He had dinner with them. He hung out with people who were sinners. They were sexually immoral people, but he spent time with them and hung out with them because he welcomed them in his grace. And yet today, we have this idea that because someone is flawed, they need to be canceled. The entire scriptures are full of redemptive stories. The life of Christ, he often encounters someone far from God and through his grace and his patience and yes, the truth that he shares, they're drawn to him and to the redemption found in him. Now we talk about not speaking evil against someone. We're not talking about those times we sit down with a brother or sister in Christ and humbly, even in brokenness, show the error of their way. That's speaking the truth in love. There's a place for that. But in this era in which we live, where we're all isolated and living lives in kind of our own bubbles that sort of interact from time to time, in this area where there's so much political divide, 
Even the church has gotten caught up in the cancel culture, and the scriptures are completely against the cancel culture of our day. Even in how we talk about things like masks, how we talk about things like vaccines, how we talk about the, the things that have been done in our society, a business does or the government does. We, we have this tone where we put ourselves above others. And, and, and believe me, I've heard from people on all sides of these issues. So don't start sending the emails about this about vaccines or this about masks. I've got them all. I actually proactively read this stuff on my own on both perspectives on all these issues and I have people who will send me, these are the 10 things that will prove and they, they, they speak with such a judgmental tone one way or the other. And you know what James is saying? Don't do that. Paul told the Galatian church, you're gonna devour and destroy each other and the world's gonna see no credibility with the followers of Christ. Even how we talk about the various bills that pass through the state house here in Sacramento or the Congress in Washington, D.C. And I've, I've had people, and I've myself been aware of several bills at the state level that could be bills that are dangerous for the freedom of the church. There are things in, in Washington, D.C. that are being discussed, several bills, and I could spend every weekend all day long talking to you about those things. But even how we approach those things is important. For example, the Equality Act that right now is being debated in the House of Representatives. I've had people email me and say, Pastor, they're just trying to treat people with dignity like God. Why are these people opposed to that? Then I've had other people email me and they'll talk about these people and they just slam this side. Then I have those who raise legitimate concerns that yes, we should treat people with dignity, but we shouldn't have to endorse their behavior within the religious setting and there should be an exemption in terms of convictions related to that for churches and religious institutions. And, and let me just tell you, you need to be alert and be engaged. And I would encourage you to read both sides. Don't just read one. Don't just read the letter that says you got to tell your pastor about this. Read them all. And, and get a good understanding of both sides because what we have is we have one side slamming the other and we have one side slamming the other where there could be some truth in both. God wants us to treat people with dignity, but he also wants us to hold to our convictions and our government needs to give us that freedom. And so please engage, understand those things. And I've had some folks who've written me about this bill and they are just all in saying, these people are just being paranoid and fear mongers. Then I've had people write me and say, no, no, uh, these people are evil and terrible and we're canceling them. And, and then I've had a lot of you, and thank you for those of you who have communicated to me on this subject or any other subject with grace and without a judgmental tone, we've got to look in the mirror and look at ourselves in how we're, we're talking about each other, talking to each other, how we're interacting on social media, in person. It's very easy to look down on each other. And you know what Jesus did? He showed us the example of how he, who is God the Son, lowered himself even below his disciples. The night before he was crucified, he bowed down and washed the stinky, dirty feet of his disciples. And if I had been Jesus, as it's recorded in John 13 when he does this, I would have skipped Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. I would have skipped Peter, who was going to deny him. But Jesus doesn't do that. See, his tone is not one of condemnation, but it's one of serving these folks so that nothing gets in the way of them seeing who he genuinely is. And we have got to get beyond ourselves and get ourselves out of the way 
even our strong opinions, even on certain things that we think are so important, we need to extend grace and kindness and Christ-likeness to others. If we're going to have Christ-like credibility in the world, we need to engage in less finger-pointing and more foot-washing. What's your tone bend to your children? What's your tone bend to your neighbors? What's your tone bend to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and all the different issues of our day, whether they've been political or not political or they've been politicalized? What's your attitude? Have you been judging? Setting yourself up above others because you've done all the internet research and they haven't, but they've done all the research and you haven't. We need to understand that we should be the distinct people in the world people known for grace. Yes, we have our convictions. Yes, we have our stands. But we should not be on all-out war against everyone, devouring and biting. We need to stop putting ourselves above others and serve them. Secondly, when I find freedom from a critical attitude through humility, I stop putting myself above Scripture and obey it. You know, there are people, and some of us grew up in settings, where there were a lot of things added to the Scriptures, other rules and codes, don't go here, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And when you ask them about it, it's a very contorted, convoluted way to get themselves back to Scripture on those things. I find it hard enough just to follow the Bible, let alone all the other codes and regulations people want to make up in legalism and pharisaicalism. Many of us put ourselves above Scripture in our judgmental, condescending, condescending, critical attitude. Look at the last part of verse 11. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. You put yourself above the Scriptures because the Scriptures have said not to judge others and have that critical attitude that you carry with your children and your grandchildren, the comments you make, the things you post. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. We get so caught up in judging people for all the other things, the things in the gray area, the things where Jesus, where the scriptures, excuse me, don't say, thus saith the Lord. And, and, and what he's saying here, we're, we're not focused on keeping the word of God. We're focused on proving that we are superior than others in our holiness. And we need to slow down and follow God's word in obedience. When I find freedom from a critical attitude through humility, I stop putting myself above Scripture and obey it. Thirdly, I stop putting myself above God and trust Him. I stop putting myself above God and I trust Him. Look at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who died and made you God? Who died and made you judge? I see a lot of people in the room here, faces, and I know there are a lot of folks joining us in worship online, and I know that those joining us online and the people in this room, that none of you are the ultimate judge. I'm not the ultimate judge. God is the one who established what is good and perfect for us in his word. He's the lawgiver, and then we will be judged according to that. There are times I really want to be judgmental and condescending. I want people to be canceled, and I want them to face the things now. And I have to say, you know what? God will take care of that. God is the judge. I am not. The last service I said, we need to boldly say to the Lord, I am God and you are not. And then I realized I messed that up. It should be we boldly say to the Lord, 
You are God and I am not. I had a Freudian slip. (laughs) But we need to be able to say, you know what? You are the judge. You are God. I am not. I think in this world of the cancel culture, we get into this spirit where we say, well, uh, they treated me this way. This is what they're doing to us, so we should do that to them. That's how, how they treat us, and that's their tactics and their maneuver, and so we should have the same. No. Jesus never treated people the way they treated him. He treated them with the grace and respect and love and kindness that he displays to you and me. Stop, I've got to stop putting myself above God and trust him. One day, every one of us, even the people you think ought to have a lightning bolt strike them right now, or you think they're so wrong on the issues of today, one day they'll answer to God, not to you. They'll answer to God, not to me. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. God will do the judging. Some of us, just we just can't not give our opinion or get strong about it. And I told you, I had a few times this week where I went farther than I should have, and even in a couple of them, they said, I didn't notice anything, we're good. And they said, you shouldn't, my own heart told me, the Holy Spirit told me, convicted me in my heart, that that was the wrong tone. I kind of set myself up as God over that thing we were talking about. You know, there are people today who feel so caught off cut off. And then when they interact with someone online or someone by email or in person or on the phone, that person just gives them all their opinions and gives them all the reasons and they, they leave that encounter drained more than they were when they were alone. Are you one of those people that leaves people more drained because you can't just listen or be with them? You have to tell them why they're wrong or why so-and-so's wrong and you have to be the judge? There are a lot of people right now who could use a brother or sister in Christ who would just reach out to them and say, how you doing? And listen. And even if they say something you don't fully agree with, just say, I hear you. And listen. Can I challenge you to think of a couple people maybe you know of who might have been isolated? Maybe some people, you you know they're not even isolated, but the Lord has brought them to mind you. Find two people this week and text them or call them and say, how you doing? And don't Follow up on anything that, oh, but oh, it was a slow pitch across the plate. I have like 10 documents from the internet that will prove. <laughs> Let it go. Show them the love and grace of God. Take that text and that moment of that phone call and be Jesus in their life in that moment. People are desperate and hungry for someone who will listen and just be with them. Our oldest son, John, our oldest, our only son, but our oldest of our three kids, John, lives in Brooklyn, New York. Came across an article not long ago about a woman named Nina Keneally. She has a business in Brooklyn, and it's called Nita Mom. 
She knows that in Brooklyn, and I was there in the fall, it's so true, Brooklyn is full of millennials and Gen Z young people far from their parents, and, and uh, they're, they're there and they're lonely, they're adrift, and when they do talk to their parents, their parents tell them everything they're doing wrong, and, and so she started this business. She's been a mom for 30 years, and she started this business where you can, as a young person, hire her to be your mom for an hour. Now, she won't do your laundry, but she might iron some clothes for you. She won't do your homework or do your work for your work if you're out of school, but she will help you review your resume. She'll go on a walk with you. She'll let you talk to her. She does all these different things. And she was asked in an article I came across, what is the number one reason why young people hire you? What do they pay you for the most? And she said, that's easy. It's so easy. The number one thing they hire me for the most is non-judgmental listening. Now, does that mean we abandon the truth of God? No, but it says something about where our world is now in this cancel culture. We're all afraid to say anything. We're all being judged all the time. And young people are trying to figure out life and they've been deconstructing their faith and they're reconstructing their faith. They're going through stuff. They want someone who would just listen. And so she goes on walks and she sits with these folks and listens to them. Again, I'm not saying we give up what the scriptures say. I'm not saying we don't share the truth. What I'm saying is, in our world today, there are people hungry for someone who will just be with them, just talk to them, just hear them, who bow down and wash their feet for them by making them the priority. I came across a song back in January, a song by Zach Williams. As soon as I heard it, I thought, wow, that could be sung by John Coggins so well. The, the song is called Less Like Me, more like Jesus. In the chorus, uh, William sings, a little more like mercy, a little more like grace. Notice that, a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith, a little more like patience, and a little more peace. Oh, do we need the body of Christ to live that out in our world today. Look at what he says in the rest of this chorus of the song. A little more like Jesus, so a little less like me. A little more of living everything I preach. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Oh, a little less like me. Wow. So Holy Spirit saying, hey, every time you get with people, you gotta be judgmental. Every time you get with people, you gotta share your opinions. You're, you're, you've got a critical attitude, a condescending, judgmental, critical attitude. And it's the Holy Spirit saying to you, step back. Stop putting yourself above others. Stop putting yourself above Scripture. Stop putting yourself above God. Trust God. Obey Scripture and serve others. Secondly, James says another thing that can get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives and humility can help us with this area is that of a controlling spirit where we try to control everything. We try to control people. We try to control the variables of our lives. Sometimes I've thought of myself as a control freak, but I've come to this conclusion. I'm not a control freak. If everybody does everything the way I want, I'm very flexible. I really am. I'm very flexible. Anybody else out there like me say, I, I try to control all the variables? And in doing so, again, you're, you're crushing the life out of the people you love the most? Look at what he says in verses 13 through 17 as he deals with the controlling spirit. Now listen, this is gonna be used again in verse one of chapter five. It's the only two places that this idiom is used in the New Testament for now listen. It has the idea of go, get up, pay attention. 
You who say, and then he says, you say this, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry our business and make money. You, you say now, tomorrow, next year, so you know the timing, we will go to this city or that city, you know the place, and we're gonna do this and we'll do this. And you say it like nothing can change it. Because you said it, you control the variables and it's gonna happen. But look what he says in verse 14. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, like the steam on your coffee this morning. Your life in light of eternity is short that appears for a little while and vanishes. It disappears. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. It's not wrong to make plans, where you're gonna go, what you're gonna do, when you'll be there. But then to step back and say, if the Lord is willing, because there are a lot of variables I don't control, that can become a dangerous kind of spiritualized thing, like it's some recitation that automatically makes everything work out. No, it's just a reminder when you're boldly saying stuff to say, Lord willing, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. The word for schemes actually has arrogant in it, so he's saying, you boast in your arrogant, arrogant stuff. All such boasting is evil. And then verse 17, in case you go too far and you just sit back and get apathetic or indifferent, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Jesus said it this way in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I think there are three things he says that we need to understand about a controlling spirit. Number one, talk is cheap. You can boldly say you're gonna do something. My bold plans today can be worthless by tomorrow. I could say, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go there on this day, and I'm gonna do stuff, and you don't control everything. You're not God. Bold plans today can be worthless by tomorrow. He says in verses 13 and 14, you make all of that clear, but he says in verse 15, you can say that, but then you ought to add to it, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And then he says, because when you think it's all about you and you control all the variables of your life, the people, the circumstances, the situation, you are just full of your own selfish, arrogant, arrogant stuff. You're leaving God out. We need to acknowledge God's control. God is in control of everything. He holds me responsible for the things that are in my responsibility that I have control over. And then beyond that, we have to let God be God and acknowledge God's control. There's a little phrase the early church used to talk about this very verse, James 4.15. It was a Latin phrase, deo volente. Deo volente. Sometimes they just use the Latin letters D and V together in caps. It means Lord willing. And so they would often end correspondence to someone. At the very bottom, you'd see a little DV below their name. It meant deo valente, Lord willing. You know how to really mess with the minds of your friends? When you send an email this week or you make a Facebook post about what you're going to do or the plans you have or where you're going to go and who you're going to see and you've got all these things that you've got planned, just add deo valente. Or just slip a little DV behind your name, see what they do. What does that mean? Doctor of... Whether you do that or not with others, do it with your own self and say, you know what, I'm going to do this, Lord willing. I'm going to go there, Lord willing. And let it humble you and remind you, you don't control all the circumstances of your life. God does. He does. 
Talk is cheap. The bold plans we make can be gone tomorrow because God is God and we are not. Secondly, as we think about a controlling spirit, life is short. We work so hard to control all the details to get as much wealth and success and fame as we can possibly get in this life. And we spend all of our energy on that. My life can be a big success now, but never really matter in light of all eternity. My life can have everything I ever wanted right now and never really matter in light of eternity. The scriptures say that our lives, as James says in verse 14, is like a mist. It's there for a moment and gone. Or like a shadow that passes by, a cloud, the scriptures say. A blade of grass that grows and then it withers. A flower that is there and then it fades. Scriptures are full of descriptors to help us understand life is short. And when we think of the brevity of life, we need to understand then that we need to be investing and our values need to be investing in, invested in things of eternity. Jesus said, you know, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Life is short. None of us here are assured of Tomorrow. People hear me talk about receiving Christ as Savior, putting your faith in the one who died, was buried, and rose again for you. They hear that, they hear that, and sometimes people say, I hear what you're saying, I'm thinking about that, I'm, I'm processing that, maybe someday I'll do that, I'll put my faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, now is the accepted time, behold, today is the day of salvation. Stop putting off making Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Put your faith in the one who died, was buried, and rose again for you. Because you don't know if you're gonna have days and weeks and months to ponder and think. When you step into eternity, you want to step into eternity knowing that you know Jesus. If you have put your faith in Christ recently or today, or you have questions about it, we want to help you. If you're in the room, we'll have a care team member down front who can pray with you. If you've joined us in the room or you've joined us for our worship online, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. Just put the name Jesus in the body of the text and text the number, and we'll follow up with you, and we'll have a pastor who'll be available to you to answer any questions you might have to help you know that you know Jesus. At the end of the service, you see in the room and on the broadcast, you see the pastor on call that you can reach out to if you say, today's the day of salvation. i got to settle this today. Don't wait, life is short. What does that mean for those of us who know Jesus? We need to embrace God's mission. He has sent us out to live in love like Jesus so others can hear and see Jesus from our lives and can come to Jesus too so they can go out and live in love like Jesus. And to do that, we gotta get out of the way and let God work and we've gotta step back from being controlling and be engaged in his mission, not in all the stuff that we can control and all the things that we think count for eternity when they will be gone like a vapor. A controlling spirit, we have to understand talk is cheap. Acknowledge God's control. Life is short, you gotta embrace God's mission now. And then thirdly, Indifference is a sin. If you go the other way, where now you're, you're busy with stuff, but you're not engaging in anything, that's not a good thing either. And he's warning us not to go from being controlling to being apathetic or indifferent. My life could be very full, but never do any good if I get caught up in indifference and just go through the motions of life. In verse 17, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There is a sin of omission. You know that you're living love like Jesus, so if you don't do it, it's sin. 
So what do we need to do? We need to do God's will. We need to do what God has told us to do. I have people ask me about God's will, and they'll say, you know, Pastor, we really need to know God's will about this job or this move or this, 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 this. And when I begin to ask them, well, how is your walk with the Lord? Have you been in the Word? They'll say, oh, no, but we need to know God's will for this. The best way to know God's unwritten will for your life is to know God's written will for your life, his word. Walking in his word, then the Holy Spirit will take the principles and that of scripture and will guide you from the written will of God in the Bible, obeying the Bible. He will take you from that and he will begin to give you an understanding of his unwritten will as you walk with him in his written will, the word of God. A controlling spirit, talk is cheap. Acknowledge God's control. Life is short. Embrace God's mission. Indifference is sin. Don't just go through the motions. Walk in obedience to God. Do God's will. Let me ask you, are you wrestling with the selfish shackle of a critical attitude? Are you lifting yourself up above others? Are you lifting yourself up above Scripture? Are you lifting yourself up above God? You're you're being the judge of everybody on every issue? It's okay for us to disagree on gray things and, and, and the things that uh, the scriptures aren't clear on. It's okay. But maybe you can't have that. You've got to be the judge. You set yourself up above others, above scripture, and in many ways above God. You've got to trust God to be the judge. Humble yourself before him. Let him remove that critical attitude. Are you wrestling with that selfish shackle of a controlling spirit? you got to control all the variables or you're frustrated or, 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 or it just isn't going to go your way unless you've got all of it all together and then one little thing happens and you're crushed and it wasn't even in your control. you got to get out of the way. Find freedom from yourself. Humble yourself and let God, let God be God because you are not. I am not. He is God. I love the stanza of that song, Less Like Me. William sings, Oh, I have days I lose the fight, try my best just to get it right. Well, I talk a talk that I don't walk and miss the moments right before my eyes. Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped. Somebody with a hand that I could have held. And you know what often gets in the way of us doing those things? Our critical attitude and our controlling spirit, we get in the way. When I just can't see past myself, oh Lord, help me be. And then he goes into the chorus again. A little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love, and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, oh, a little less like me. A little more of living everything I preach, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me, oh, a little less like me. You know what? I want a little more like Jesus and a little less like me. Do you have that passion and desire so that the people around you in this world can see Jesus in and through you as you humble yourself and he removes that critical attitude and that controlling spirit? Then Jesus shines through his grace, his love, his truth, his justice, his holiness, his kindness, his patience shines through in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, I know myself. I know those times that I think I got it all figured out and I want everybody to know it or I want those closest to me to know it so I become so overbearing and 
It could be a critical attitude. It could be a controlling spirit. And Lord, then I get in the way of what you want to do in other people's lives. I get in the way of what you want to do in my life. Lord, help me to find freedom from me this week as I humble myself before you. Help us to humble ourselves that we wouldn't lift ourselves up above others in Scripture and even you. Help us, Lord, to say, Lord willing, I'm going to do this, but God is in control. Help us to understand the brevity of life and to make the the greatest investment possible in living loving like Jesus every day. And then help us not to be indifferent, but help us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do to fulfill your will. Oh, we want Jesus to be seen in our lives, in and through us, more and more every day. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.